Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. And you're tuned in to our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs who have a story to tell. And joining us virtually today from New York City, I've got Sean Eli. He is with the Ivy League of Comedy. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks. Lovely to be here. And I'm not virtual. I'm actually right behind you. (laughs) I can see you in my reflection here. Uh, We are here to talk about your origin story, where you came from and what kind of cool stuff you're into. But we always start out with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question, this is super serious. So you're going to have to put your thinking cap on and we're going to get real deep here. If you could eliminate one food so that no one could ever eat it again, what would it be? Wow. I have a colleague and he wants to eliminate one song and the song he chose is one of the most popular songs. If I can eliminate one food that I would never have to see or deal with again, um, mushrooms. Ooh. Don't like mushrooms. I think they're creepy. I'm kind of weird. I like some mushroom flavored stuff, but I don't like mushrooms either. It's the texture for me. It's so, it's just weird. I don't hate it, but it's, not my favorite they're and my sli- wife hates when i say not my slimy. favorite it's a bad texture yeah this one for me i would gladly destroy and eliminate and i would be so happy about it and it's broccoli oh i cannot stand broccoli it's so gross to me and so many people in my life love it and i don't understand why i believe that they're possibly a little psychotic Um, If I wanted to eat a tree, I always tell people I would just chop it down and eat it. And that's what eating broccoli is like for me. It's just hard and crunchy. But it saves you the trouble of chopping down a tree. (laughs) You know what? I would rather chop down a tree and eat it than eat broccoli. That is me. I'm not a broccoli fan. So, yeah, that'd be the one I I would eliminate. I'm okay with broccoli, but not raw because then it is kind of gross. But sometimes if you, you know, fry it or something and it's in, you know, it's in Chinese foods and a lot of foods. The thing is you can avoid it. It's pretty easy to just not eat broccoli. Yeah. If you, if you cook it up right and it's mixed in with a bunch of stuff like broccoli, rice, and cheese without huge, large chunks of broccoli, I'm okay. But just, yeah, dip it in some ranch and eat it. That's psychotic to me. I I can't, I can't be friends with anyone who likes that. I don't know. I think you probably feel about broccoli. Like I feel about cauliflower. It just doesn't belong there. (laughs) <laughs> see now cauliflower i got some recipes where you can uh kind of mash it up and make some really good stuff with it but uh, i'm definitely not a huge fan of it either it, it reminds me of like just a white broccoli in my eyes but when yeah, i was I a kid it. a friend's mother cooked calf brain and it Ooh. after that cauliflower reminds me of calf brains and i don't want to <laughs> eat brains <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah that's a, that's a weird one brain i don't think i could eat that either well i don't think serve it anymore because a mad cow but you're safe <laughs> hey there entrepreneurs are you tired of juggling multiple platforms for your marketing and sales needs it's time to revolutionize your business operations with wingman 
Wingman's an all-in-one marketing automation software. It's designed by experienced marketers who understand your struggles. It's a game changer. It combines the best tools to streamline your communication, automate your workflows, and grow your business. Capture leads using landing pages, surveys, forms, and more. Nurture them with personalized messages via voicemail, SMS, emails, and even Facebook Messenger. And close deals with built-in tools to collect payments, schedule appointments, and track analytics. Say goodbye to multiple marketing tools and hello to Wingman. It's your unified platform for all business needs. You can enhance your online presence, manage your reputation effectively, and cultivate leads effortlessly. So are you ready to take your business to new heights? Visit TrustYourWingman.com today and let Wingman be your co-pilot to success. I to Wingman. But we're here to talk about you, Sean, you know, so let's just kind of hop right into it and, and tell me where you came from and how you got to where you're at now. What's your origin story? Well, I don't want to creep you out, but I, I'm known as the broccoli of stand-up comedy. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we're just going to end the podcast there then, you know, it was nice. I'm eliminating you from all I'm of this. I'm sorry. I'm the pizza of stand-up comedy. All right. See, now that I can support. Um, I worked in a corporate environment and threw it all away so I could be a stand-up comedian. That's the, the quickest synopsis I could give of my life. And it was the, probably the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. I've heard a few stories from some comedians recently and I don't know when you got into it, you know, so maybe... I don't, uh, you may not relate to these people, but you know, some people kind of realize like, Hey, you know, with COVID and changing the way that we're doing everything, it was like, I've always loved stand up comedy. And now's the time because I can hop in and connect with people virtually and, you know, start doing this. And I love hearing those stories of like, I was doing a corporate job that I hated and I'd always stuck around with stand up comedy. And, and one person I follow in particular, uh, Shelly belly comedy, she actually just, she has that exact story of like, you know, my kids are grown. I, I did my job and I took care of my children. And then my husband told me like, why aren't you following your dream? If you always wanted to do comedy, why aren't you doing it? And she got into it really late, uh, you know, in her life and is now super successful on that. So I love hearing these stories. So what kind of corporate job were you doing prior to comedy? I was a banker and I, a friend talked me into trying stand up comedy and I started performing at, you know, amateur shows and open mic nights and stuff like that. And I did some corporate shows here and there and, and some fundraising shows. And after six years, I realized I basically had two jobs and one was fun and didn't pay well. And one wasn't fun and paid well. And I made the non-economic decision of throwing away the lucrative one to have a much better quality of life. And now I tell people, I probably use my alarm clock maybe five days a year. So seldom that every time I use it, I have to read the instruction manual to figure out how to set it. <laughs> You know, going back to eliminating something, I would love to eliminate the alarm clock in my life. So I'm jealous of you there. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's her. why, that's how we won World War II. People don't know this, but um, uh, Colonel General von Snooze invented the snooze alarm in Germany, and they kept rolling over and going back to sleep, and that's why they lost the war. <laughs> See, that sounds like me. I would have lost the war. That's what I would have done. So a banker, I mean, that is if I had to think of boring jobs, that, that sounds boring, probably very lucrative. I've heard of a lot of people who make really good money doing that kind of stuff. Um, you had basically two jobs. So you were waking up in the morning, going to work and then afterwards going to do these open mic nights and just kind of, you know, gig it out if you will, and yeah. throw those things in on top. Right. And yeah. And I realized I had two jobs, but one of the things I did 
shortly after I started in stand-up comedy, the way you get better is by getting on stage. And it's hard to find stage time because when you're new, you're not very good and nobody wants to put you on, on their stage. No comedy club is going to say, sure, you've been doing comedy for six weeks. We're going to have people pay to see you and see you suck. It doesn't work that way. So what people said is start producing your own shows. And I started producing shows and I wanted a name that sounded very corporate and high end. So I called my company Ivy League Comedy. And then one day we showed up at a theater and they got the name wrong. And the marquee said the Ivy League of Comedy. And I saw that and said, you know, that sounds better than what we have. And I changed it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Like, hey, thanks for the mess up. Uh, yeah. This works out pretty well. And they're out of business and I'm not. So I guess it worked better for me than for them. Hey, a win is a win. That's what yeah. they say on TikTok these days. So how did you go from uh, not making a whole lot of money on it to being able to support yourself? Um, a boatload of cold calling. Uh, I've called theater. I still do it. I've been doing this for 18 years and I still cold call, though I'm trying to cut back on it. So contacting charity, you know, charity organizations, houses of worship, corporations and theaters. And mainly most of my work is in theaters and I look for theaters that don't ha already have stand up comedy. Everybody is saying to me, oh, this theater has comedy. You should go talk to them. Like, no, they already are doing it. What I'm looking for is people who are not doing what I'm doing, because inevitably my show is probably going to be a lot better and a little more expensive than what they're already doing. So I'm looking for places to say, hey, we haven't done this. Let's give it a try. The hardest thing is when a theater has already had a comedy show and it turned out to be terrible and they say we're never doing that again. Those are the hard people to convince to hire me. Yeah, I've got a, a venue just like that right here in Tomball, man. We need to get you to come out to Tomball, Texas and uh, try out some comedy here because that's exactly what they're doing. They're in the music space right now that's, and yeah. they have emailed me and they're like, hey, you know that comedian that you wanted to uh, kind of refer over to us and we weren't doing comedy at the time? We're thinking about hopping into it. Do you have any comedians that you know you would recommend? So I, it seems like this might be maybe a trend that's happening where a lot of places are trying to kind of jump over to the comedy space. And I don't see why not. I enjoy stand up comedy myself. If we had a stand up comedy place to go in Tomball, I would be at one all the time and spend way too much money. So how I think it's a good business venture. How big is your town and how big is the theater? This town is actually a pretty small town. Um, I think last census were somewhere around like 10 to 12,000 people total. Uh, it's not so much a theater. It is more of a, uh, it's called main street crossing and it, it kind of started out as like a coffee cafe type place. They serve food and beverages, uh, now, uh, you know, a lot more than coffee. Um, and I don't know what the seating looks like, but I'd imagine it would be a smaller venue, probably hundred, 150 people or so. Um, but they do some pretty mainstream stuff, man. It would be, uh, it'd be cool to see you down here, but as far as these theaters, so you're just coming in and performing these shows and kind of doing like a rev share type thing then? It depends on the venue. Uh, obviously, I'd much prefer to just get a big fat check, but I will do uh, what they call a door deal, a revenue share, or uh, a fee plus back end based on you know how many people show up. So, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. But it depends. Generally, it's me plus you know one or two or three other comics. And for 100 or 150 seats, if I have to get on an airplane, it's just going to be a solo show because there's not right. going to be enough money for me to uh, to fly two people down there and pay for two hotel rooms. Yeah, that so makes sense. So what do. type of comedy are you into? You know, is it clean? Is it um, 
explicit? Are there, you know, a mix between like, do you do different ones? I know you mentioned churches. So yeah, I do. I do have shows at houses of worship pretty frequently. My comedy is clean every with a disclaimer that every once in a while, if I'm doing a show in a comedy club where nobody cares about the, you know, cleanliness of content, I may curse here and there that just fits what I'm talking about. But generally my comedy, so my theater shows, I'm clean. Obviously my charity and house of worship and corporate shows, I'm clean. And that's a, that's a huge advantage. That's a big marketing advantage because yeah. I would say probably 80 to 90% of professional stand-up comedians can't do a clean half hour. And I can do an hour and a half without cursing or talking about anything that would offend anybody. Yeah. I, so, and you may be biased on this because you know, it's your, uh, your style, if you will, but I've actually heard that before. Cause I'm, I'm a big connoisseur of stand-up comedians and I like it all. Uh, I respect a hundred percent getting out there and being able to do a clean show and not get into explicit topics or using explicit language because in my opinion, and I'm, I think you may agree. I think it's harder to do that. It's harder to appeal to the masses and have a clean show that anybody can be a part of and enjoy from, you know, eight years old up to 80 years old versus just kind of that niching down into, you know, the adult that's 21 plus probably, you know, 40, 50 years old on the high end that wants to hear the raunchy stuff, if you will. Well, you say eight to 80. First of all, I'd say, why are you limit limiting it on the top end? Because I perform for people close to 100 years old. That's awesome. And, and I have done shows for seniors groups where the average age may be 85 years old. But that's cool. I wouldn't say eight. And just because eight year olds are not going to be entertained by my jokes because they're not going to understand <laughs> them. So they, they get bored and they get disruptive. So I say like 14 and up just so they're adult enough to understand what I'm talking about. Right. But, but the point being, you know, it's hard to kind of appeal to the masses and be able to, to do, I think to do that clean stand up routine, because it's so easy to just throw some cuss words in there for no reason and kind of get a laugh out of people. I think, well, it's definitely, if you, if you cuss, you can get, you know, laughs out of shock rather than humor. And if you have dirty jokes, you know, people sometimes think they're funnier just because it's talking about something that's sort of forbidden. But I, I mean, my mind just doesn't write dirty jokes. Occasionally I think of something dirty that's funny and I write it down and then it just sits there because I don't do anything with it. But just that's not the way my mind works. But for a lot of people, that's just what they want to talk about. And it's unfortunate because it, in a comedy club, a comedian is a commodity. Unless you're famous, you're no different from the other guy. Mm. And in a corporate, if you can do a corporate event, you're going to make a lot of money. I just quoted a price for a, a law firm, and it was what a comedian would make for a weekend at a comedy club. And I'm just, for me, it's just going to be probably fly in in the morning, fly out, you know, late in the day and make just as much money as a comic would for a weekend. And I'm not losing a weekend. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Making more money for less work. Isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be a horrible thing. I, I'm sure you told them no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I said to them, if I have to fly in the day before, um, you know, you're going to have to pay for a night in a hotel. Because if, if, you know, if they want me at nine, I don't want to be there at nine o'clock in the morning. But if they want me at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm obviously not flying in that morning. I'll have to fly in the day before. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said earlier kind of hits that point home of being able to do a clean show 
or, you know, a combination of slightly adult show definitely helps you appeal to more people. I think it opens up, you know, what you can do, like you said, corporate events and all of these things. I know we uh, had the opportunity at a conference recently to see uh, a very famous comedian at that conference. And, you know, it's because that comedian's able to come out and do something more on the clean side and focus on that. So, well, I, and I will say the very famous comedian got people to go to the conference and appreciate it. Not speaking about me, but about my colleagues, every bit as funny as the famous person, maybe funnier, sure. but a heck of a lot less expensive. Yeah. Save you a little bit of money, still get some really, you know, fun things to do kind of changes it up from your normal corporate event of icebreaker games and questions and doing some food and drinks, you know? Yes. And it's especially, you know, after a day and I have something on my website, brainchampagne.com under corporate comedy, where I describe the reasons and the benefits of having a comedian at your conference. And there are benefits, there are actual tangible benefits because people won't just have better memories and a better opinion of your conference. They actually remember things better because they laughed at the end of it. Yeah. Laughter is medicine, man. I think there's plenty of studies out there that show when you're enjoying yourself, it makes it more memorable. Right. Well, that's the thing. You're going to remember what you learned at the conference better if you had fun. Heck yeah. Every conference I go to, I I definitely want to see y'all out there. That's for sure. Well, start talking to them about me. Right. Hey, I will add you to it. Like I said, man, I know, uh, you know, it'd be a, a smaller thing out here, but I mean, we can definitely try and put you in touch with people. And that's why we have you on the show right now too. Hopefully someone's listening in the Houston area and is like, you know what? I might need to have this person on. Uh, so where are you at online? Are you, are we able to go see some of your comedy online? Oh, I am way all over the place online. Uh, my YouTube channel is brain champagne. I I've been posting on Instagram and then a colleague of mine said, just post videos on Instagram. So not, you know, just the kind of jokes I post on Facebook. So starting two weeks ago, I said, I'm going to post regularly every week, a new video, short video on Instagram and Facebook. And then I was at a conference last week and I brought my tablet with me and I thought I posted and it didn't go up. So I put it up, I think yesterday, the day before, but I think I'm just going to post a new video every week, but my website, brainchampagne.com, and my YouTube channel, Brain Champagne, have a lot of videos. Plus, my website has about 50,000 words worth of jokes on it, original comedy. Wow. And if you don't know what 50,000 words is, a novel is about 100,000 words. So that's a lot of jokes. So you've literally written the book on comedy. I've written half of it. <laughs> I wrote hey, the good what? half. <laughs> there you go. You got the the gold content in there. Now you just got to put all the filler words for the other fifty thousand. That's I what think it, it was is. Stephen Wright who said I've re- I started writing a book. I already filled in the page numbers. Now I just have to put the words in, and that's <laughs> that's sort of how Heck I feel. Yeah. That's awesome. So, are you selling your work? Like, can we buy DVDs or anything like that? Oh, perfect! Because my comedy special, jo- and I'd forgotten about it, and it just happened like six days ago. My comedy special, The Ivy League of Comedy is now on Amazon and nice. it's me plus five colleagues. It's stand up comedy. Plus there's a camera backstage so you can see what comics are talking about before and during a show and Q and a with the audience. It's 90 minutes and it's a lot of fun. And I will say, watch all the credits because once the serious credits are done, we got phony credits. 
perfect. You know, and I just dated myself and you went right along with it and didn't say anything. So you're guilty by association. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I just realized I said that and I'm like, bro, I mean, am I going to ask you next if you're publishing CDs and well, people just said, you know what? I still have CDs. People said, people talk about taping a show and like, there's no tape. There's no tape. (laughs) There's no film. I say that one all the time. Yeah. And the other one that cracks me up too is, uh, and our, our listeners will, will miss out, but maybe we'll have to make sure we release this as a, a little moment on social media, but show me your hand signal for talking on the phone. Oh yeah. It used to be this. Yes. But and now, now it's, it's this. Kids, it's this. Oh, cause just yeah, because just, I know it's so well, they're holding the flat phone up to their ear, you know, instead of doing the whole almost like okay symbol you know but now and, people, uh, half the people talking on the phone they're not holding anything to their ear they're just pushing a button and they take you're 100 right yeah Actually, that's all I, the thing that worries me most is most people talk on the phone like this <laughs> that's true i at least i put it through my car though that way you know i can talk hands-free oh, yeah, it's worse to, it's, this this is definitely worse is you know driving yeah one-handed with the phone up to your ear i know it's crazy but so we can find you digitally on amazon and uh order that watch it stream it directly to whatever device you want to watch it on definitely something i will probably do tonight uh you know talking about cds that's the funny part is one of my very first like i had listened to stand-up comedians before but like when i really started getting into stand-up comedy one of the first pieces of media that I had from a comedian was Larry, the cable guy on a CD. And I wore that CD out, man. I listened to the same stand-up routine over and over again, and it never got dull to me. I always enjoyed showing it to my friends and stuff like that. And just what a world we live in where we can share these clips directly. And I know that'll help you tremendously. If people would go online, like your content, uh, share it with their friends. Definitely start pushing that word around. Well, actually, John, you did something wrong because speaking as a seller of content, I have to tell you, you didn't do it right. You're supposed to play the CD once, throw it out, buy another CD each <laughs> time you play it. You're not supposed to play it twice. See, I'm on that cost savings plan, though. I'm trying to save money, okay? Goes to a good cause. Larry, the cable guy, you know, he really needs it. <laughs> He's living the poor life, man. He's just a poor country boy. I think he's, you know, he's got to up his clothing budget. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's listening right now, I'm sure, because, you know, he's probably a big listener of my show, of course, you know, because I'm just as famous as him. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure we can help him out and maybe get him on the show and do a charity event for him. I'm sure. (laughs) So what else are we finding on your website? Brainchampagne.com. When I go there, what all is is on that website? Oh, there is gobs of content on my website. As I said, there's $50,000 worth of 50,000 words should be $50,000 worth of jokes. And it's, you know, one liner stuff. It's, I used to write monologue jokes for late night TV. So there's a lot of that style of joke, you know, three sentences as a joke. There's longer comedic essays. People have threatened to sue me here and there. And I respond to them with the most, you know, don't pick a fight. They used, they, there's an expression, you know, when, don't mess with the, the media. Don't pick a fight with somebody who buys his ink by the barrel. And I say, do not pick a fight with a stand-up comedian because you're going to be embarrassed. So a couple of times I've had legal skirmishes where I just beat the heck out of people. And so those letters are on my website. There's comedic essays. There's videos. There's information on how to hire a comedian about corporate events. 
and my schedule. That's an important thing too. If you want to see me live. Yeah. So do you kind of do like a tour then around uh, the country? I used to tour before the pandemic. I was touring all over the world since the pandemic. I've only been on an airplane twice. Well, four times there and back. So basically I've been to two places, but I do intend to get back on airplanes and tour the U S and the world relatively soon. But now I live in New York, so my shows are basically driving distances, almost everything I do. So like from Vermont to Virginia is where I've been the last couple of years. But I do I do intend to get back on airplanes. And if somebody wants to hire me for a corporate event or a theater, absolutely, I will get on an airplane. Yeah, man, that's really uh, what a dream job. I definitely I wish that I had the gift of gab enough to do stand up comedy. It's definitely something I, like I said, I've always enjoyed it and I have my funny moments. People, uh, they go in between calling me just an old man with my dad jokes to, uh, sometimes we'll be cry laughing so hard, but they just come few and far between. I can't figure out how it is that y'all put them together to run together. Funny to funny to funny in an hour, hour and a half long. Uh, it's work. I mean, it's not just being funny for an hour and a half spontaneously. I mean, there are times right. I can be funny and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at being funny spontaneously, but it wouldn't be an hour and a half of spontaneous funniness, but it's weird because I run into people who speak for a living and they say to me, Oh, I could never do what you do. I could never be funny. And I look at them and say, I could never do what you do. You have to be interesting. I don't have to be interesting. I don't have to make sense. I just have to make people laugh. And to yeah. me, that's easier. So talking about work, um, I know the answer to this. Otherwise, I'd have never invited you to be on a business podcast. But the listener may be wondering, like, how is it that a stand-up comedian can relate to business? Like, why are they on a business podcast? And I know anything that you do to pay your bills is a business. So if you would, just kind of sh- tell us some of the work that goes behind it. Because... I myself, I own a company. We do event services. So DJ, photo booth, live streaming, we're getting into photography, videography, that kind of stuff. And people say, well, how's that work? You know, you show up and four to five hours, you play music, you know, you're a a human CD player. How's that work? And it's like, well, you didn't see all the behind the scenes stuff that goes into getting ready for that gig. The four hours we do that is just the fun part. The rest of it is work. So tell us what your average work day, if you will, looks like before you go on and perform. You know, it's it's interesting to me. I was on the rowing team in college and we have to transport boats and oars everywhere you go. And that's complicated. And I would look at the runners and the swimmers and they don't have to carry anything and I'd be jealous. And now as a comedian, I can show up just me. I don't have to carry anything with me. And I look at the musicians who have to lug equipment around. So it sort of reversed itself. But a typical day, as far as the work part of the day, I roll out of bed, you know, somewhere between nine and 11 in the morning, which is, you say a luxury, but sometimes I'm not home till three o'clock in the morning. So it really depends. But uh, a typical day is, you know, check my email. I have a list of people to call. I've got contracts to negotiate. As I said, there's still, still some cold calling. So maybe an hour or so of writing to theaters, following up about corporate events or charity events, working on new material. Uh, I do rehearse. It's something not every comedian does, but I usually, my goal is to rehearse for an hour and a half to two hours every day. And I would say fewer than half the days I actually get it done, but it's something I aspire to. And you think, well, that's not such a long day, but let's say I have a show in Delaware and I leave my house at four o'clock because I can't be late to a show. 
I have to build in time to change a flat tire or deal with a traffic jam. So if a place is three hours away, I've got to allow four hours for driving. So let's say I leave my house at, at four o'clock for an eight o'clock show. The show's over by 10, 10, 15. I, I don't have to bring anything with me, but I do tend to carry a video camera and stuff. So to pack up, get paid, drive home, I may not be home till one o'clock in the morning. So that's a long day. So some, some days are long and I probably work almost every day doing something, but some days it's just, you know, answering emails or going to a quick show. Yeah. And people don't realize too, and maybe I'm totally off base on this. I'm just kind of going based off of my podcasting experience and DJing experience and stuff like that. But the performance aspect of it takes a lot out of you. You know, when you get up there and you say, well, you're just talking for an hour and a half. It's like, no, you're not just talking. You're not just memorizing some jokes and just, you know, saying them out loud. You're reading the room. You're deciding, you know, what they're responding to, what they're not. You're making pivots in your brain if you need to, uh, in order to kind of lead the comedy in a different direction if you have to. I mean, God forbid we see the hecklers and stuff on TikTok all the time where maybe you got to deal with the heckler or somehow the crowd got involved. Now you've got to be involved in that. And, um, it takes brain power. I would say you're still lugging around a lot of stuff. It's just, you're lugging it around up Inside. here yeah. well, where you're, you know, you're having to do all these things on the fly and people don't realize reading people or an audience or a dance floor is a skill and not everybody has that skill. So it takes some brain power there and it wears you out to me. If I have a long day of podcasting, I can be exhausted at the end. And it's like, all you did was hop on a microphone and talk for a while. And it's like, yeah, but I thought about a lot of things. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I never thought about it until now, but you're right. A DJ is reading the room too and deciding what to play based on the people on the dance floor, which is something I never really thought about. I just assumed you showed up with your set list and you played your songs. <laughs> but yeah. so it's sort of the same thing for me. I have, and it really depends. If I'm doing a 10 minute set in a comedy club, I might have zero idea what I'm going to talk about until I take the stage. And it might be, I might start with talking about what the guy before me was talking about or what somebody in the audience said. If I'm doing a longer set, I, I have sort of a plan of what I'm doing. And sometimes I write down my set list, like these are the jokes I'm going to go through. Because if I'm doing a half hour or 45 minutes, which is typical, that's still not most of my material. So I have to decide what to talk about. Yeah. But, and it is a performance. It's not just standing still and reciting into a mic. But I'm not, you know, Chris Rock, who's you know going back and forth. I'm not jumping all over the stage. So yeah. it's, it's less physically exhausting. It can be a little mentally exhausting but really the performing's the fun part it's the the negotiating and the business side of it and the marketing and up, updating my website and the cold calling and the driving to and from gigs that's that's the tiring part the perf i perform for free if i didn't have to do all the other stuff <laughs> all the corporate stuff that you're doing behind the scenes when you got out of your corporate job yeah and also you, you mentioned hecklers there's two things one is if you do shows in theaters and charity events, you very rarely have hecklers. And also, you're seeing me right now. I'm in a, in a dress shirt. And you can, I don't think you can see it, but on the other side of that door behind me, I'm sitting in my office, is a sports jacket. And I'm going to an event tonight. And if you dress a little better than the other comedians, people don't talk back to you. So if I, even if I were wearing boots and jeans and a polo shirt, and another comic is wearing sneakers and jeans and a t-shirt, they're going to talk back to him or her. They're not going to talk back to me. And it's something most comics haven't figured out. Just dress a little better and people treat you better. But for even for, you know, charity or theater or corporate events, 
about seven or eight years ago, a colleague took me aside and I thought I was dressed pretty nice. And he's like, your clothing isn't right for you. You need to dress better. And I looked into it and started dressing better for shows. And it's made a big difference. Yeah. Something I would have never thought of for sure. So, you know, hecklers are definitely a big deal. Are you one that kind of has any audience participation or you, do you just solely present your material? I do talk to the, depending on where the show is and what the event is. At a comedy sure. club, if the other comics have been back and forth with the audience, then that's sort of expected that everybody does. And the, the comic who comes out and just recites their material is thought of as not as funny because they're not talking. They, they don't seem spontaneous. But yeah. in a theater show, I might talk to the audience a little bit, especially at the beginning to sort of break the ice and get things started. I might say if I have a story about a doctor, I might say, you know, who are the doctors here? What kind of doctor are you? Talk to them about that a little bit and then segue into, you know, material talking about doctors or lawyers or accountants or whatever I happen to be talking about. But yeah. you mentioned like a lot of heckler videos on, on TikTok. And I think that's a mistake my profession is making because the more of that people are exposed to, the more they think that is appropriate behavior. Yeah, they're going to copy the behavior. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. Um, I do like controlled audience participation. I love it when a person is a comedian is engaged with the audience in that way, but I respect both hustles, you know? So it's not just, uh, you have to be an audience participation type person, or I'm not going to enjoy your show. I respect them both. I think the big thing is, and, and maybe this kind of leads to what you're saying about a mistake in the industry doing this is that it's, it's appropriate when the comedian makes it appropriate. And when it's not, it would be no different to me than disrespecting a chef by walking in his kitchen, you know, and, and giving feedback on how he's cooking or something like that. It's like, they're there to do what they are doing. Let them lead it as a comedian. And if they want you involved, great, get involved respectfully. But if they don't want you involved, I think it's like the worst, it's a slap in the face to me. And while it does pop off as funny when a comedian truly shuts somebody down and really just craps all over them. And I love it you're right, man. It, it kind of brings the profession down of like making everyone want to copy that and start doing that. So they get their 15 seconds of fame. Oh, I don't have a problem with the comedian doing it in the moment. What I absolutely have a problem with it. is when they post it on, on the internet and then yeah. people say, Oh, the comedian wants us to do this because they're having fun with it. And some comedians do have fun with it, but most yeah. of us would rather the audience just their job is to enjoy the show, not to try to become part of the show. And a lot of times, you know, it's drunk, it's drunks, or it's a guy yeah. on a date and, and comedians learn very quickly how to read different kinds of hecklers because you'll get the heckler who's drunk and doesn't realize really drunk, doesn't realize it's actually not a conversation. And you'll get the guy who wants to prove to he's, he's annoyed that his date is laughing at this other guy and paying no attention to him. And he's going to prove I'm funnier than that guy. And that's a recipe for his disaster, but also, really you know, a bachelorette party. It's a woman is getting married and she's supposed to be the center of attention and her friends are all around her and it's, you know, the second biggest day for her after her wedding day is the bachelorette party. And now all of a sudden the whole bachelorette party is supposed to shut up and listen to this guy talk or a woman and they don't know how to deal with it. So they start interrupting and you don't want to be mean to people if you don't have to. And frankly, it doesn't happen very often at corporate events, but if somebody interrupts at a corporate event, it's a lot harder because you can't use some of the techniques to shut them down because it's a corporate event. You can't be mean to them. Yeah. They're technically, you know, related, if you will, to your paying customers. So yeah, 
I could see that. I'm the type of person, much to my wife's dismay, that when we go to a comedy show, I want to sit right up front. And especially if it's an audience participation type thing where the comedian's going to pick on you or include you somehow. I love it because I love comedy, so I have no problem with that. I know that it's just comedy. Um, my wife absolutely despises being the center of attention for that 15 and, seconds. And that's the problem we have is you may – your wife may be a good sport if somebody's picking on her, but we don't really know if she's enjoying it or she's just going along with it. And I've told comedians and audiences often don't want to sit up front for that reason. I don't do any picking on picking on the audience unless I'm very provoked. But some comedians just think it's funny to insult the audience. And when I've worked with newer comics, I say, you know, the reason the club is half empty today is because yesterday you picked on the audience. And I've spoken to people and said, oh, do you go to comedy shows? And a very common response is I used to go all the time. And then the comedian picked on me or my friend that I never went back. And Dang. what profession is it appropriate to abuse your customer base? Yeah. See, and it's so it's hard for me because I love it. I think it's funny, um, but you're right. Like I can see the big problem that it's creating there. You know, I, I can't disagree with you at all. Um, I just kind of wish people would have thicker skin these days and, and be okay with it. You know, you hear a lot of complaining. Um, are you familiar with like the cruise industry and their stand up comedy they stuff? They're way, way sensitive. Yes. Those I've, heard, cruisers. I've only heard the comedian side of the story. So I've never heard the audience or the cruise line side of the story, but people's comics seem to get fired a lot from cruise. Shows. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I don't know that part of it. Um, but I definitely know from the, the cruisers perspective, um, the cruise lines make it very, very clear when it is a clean show that children are allowed to attend. And by children, I mean anyone under 18 years old, uh, or when it is an adult only show and you must be 18 or older to attend and people just lose their mind. They cannot imagine a world where it's okay to be offensive in comedy and even when they're prepped and they know, and then the host of the comedy club comes out and says, Hey, just a reminder, if you get easily offended or you don't like harsh language or explicit topics, you may want to get up and leave. No problem. We love you. We understand you're just in the wrong place. And then even after all of that, the comedian will say something and I'm over there dying laughing and someone's offended and walking out. And I'm like, how, how did you get to this point? Well, you don't know you what they're going to say. Things. You don't know what it. You could say I have a thick skin, and then they hit the one point that you're sensitive on. Nobody knows. Sure, and you know what I would do at that point. Not that it's ever happened. Stand up respectfully and leave. Yeah, I'm not happy with it. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I'm gonna go drink somewhere, or I'm gonna go, you know, play trivia or whatever else. But I think we have like a sense of entitlement of like, well, you can't say this because I don't like it. Well, and how do we know that you know a comedian is talking about having a skin rash and you have some skin disease? And it makes you really upset. How are we? It's impossible for yeah. us to know that. I mean, I got lucky once. I was doing a charity event, and I was I had a new joke about drunk. Basically, the the theme of the joke is that drunk driving isn't dangerous as long as there's people texting. They're way scarier. And <laughs> and and I don't even remember the joke anymore. But I show up and I'm ready to do the joke, and a person says to, happens to say to me, "I'm glad we have a comedy show tonight. We're all a little sad." because one of our beloved members died in a motorcycle accident this morning. Oh my and had God. I done that joke, they would have been horrified. But 
you have no way of knowing. I just got lucky yeah. that they happened to mention it to me and I didn't tell a joke. Heck it yeah. could have been horrible and it wouldn't have been anybody's fault. Just stuff happens. See, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I haven't been offended yet, but, you know, I've and I've you been with direct- that face. You haven't been offended yet. That's what I'm saying. See, and I've been picked on for my face. I've been called fat at a comedy show. I've been all kinds of things. And I think it's to me, it's just hilarious. Yeah, like, but most people would probably be pretty upset. Yeah, you're right. I'm not most people. That's for sure. So is it OK to ask you if you have like a favorite joke or something that you can do for us? A favorite joke I can do. Or maybe like your most successful joke recently or just something that you like to do. My most successful joke is like three minutes long. But one of the favorite jokes I've written um, is, and it's it's a good corporate event kind of joke. As I say, I talk about when I'm driving to the show and I say, you remember that the Supreme Court decided that corporations are the same as people. You remember this? So on the drive here, I threw two stock certificates into the passenger seat, drove here in the carpool lane. Yeah, didn't why not? Make, didn't make you laugh, but. Uh. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you too, man. First of all, I put you on the spot. And that's, to me, if you can navigate that as a comedian, that's hard. I found it funny, for sure. I think it's a good joke. Um, I've seen, I relate it to other people who've done some crazy things uh, on the HOV, like the pregnant woman who said, well, I've got two people, so yeah. I'm going to challenge this, you know. Um, but it's hard too doing jokes virtually where you have no reaction from an audience I think it would probably definitely be easier to do comedy for a large audience and get that yeah. laugh and everyone's in the same mood and feeding off of each other. By the hey, way, if I, were, if, I, if I were a cop and I pulled over a pregnant woman in the HOV lane and she said, no, my fetus is a baby. So we count as two people. I would cite her for having the kid, not in a seat, in a child's seat. <laughs> See, I like that. Hell yeah. That way. <laughs> I mean, you're the one counting it, ma'am. Yep. And okay, so so you want something else. So you know they say the car that you drive reflects your sexuality. You think it's true? Because I drive my mom's car. Oh <laughs> see, look at there. That used to be my opening joke. I Man. I love it. Brainchampagne.com. Yes. We can find all of your comedy. Amazon, we can go on there, find your stuff. The Ivy League um, of Comedy live from the Emblem Theater on Amazon. Perfect. Yeah. I love it, man. And so I always ask everybody when we start getting toward the end of the show, obviously call you up, email you and book you for a show. You'd love it. Uh, Buy a ticket to one of your shows you have posted. You would love that too. But if I'm just a broke dude sitting at home and I've got no way to support you, what's the best thing I can do to help you get out there? Uh, Sign up for my email list. It's free. Uh, You can find the link on brainchampagne.com. And every month I will send you original comedy and stories from the world of stand-up, and you will get free jokes. And Perfect. Then, and then since you will be a better person from reading my jokes, you will be more successful and, and richer, and you will be able to hire me to come do a show for you, all just because you signed up for my mailing list. I swear that happens. Yeah, get rich quick, um, you know, and and – Honestly, if we send you like a thousand dollars or something to just boost this, it'll probably come back tenfold. I oh, mean, absolutely. that's not FDA approved, but I think it's true. Don't don't feel the need to send me money. You could <laughs> give it to charity. Absolutely. No, I think it was a great conversation. Um, uh, thank you for being on the show, Sean. It truly was a good conversation. I think we, you know, you're probably one of the first like sarcastic, funny, throw it back at me type people I've had on the show. I've had well, a few you deserve moments it. where. Uh, I mean, honestly. 
I don't, you know what? I, I think I don't deserve it. And that's why I deserve it more. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't be good enough to deserve it. That's giving me credit. Well, if you want to have imposter syndrome, I'm not going to stand in your way. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Brainchampagne.com, the Ivy League of comedy. Sean Eli himself right here. Hire him out. Get him to a theater near you. Uh, you know, pay him enough to fly out there and do a private show for you or see one of his shows up in New York next time you're in that area. Um, please go out there and support him just like you supported him by listening to this show. I really appreciate our listeners and our viewers for tuning in every single week for a new episode of Small Business Origins. Sean, it's been my pleasure to interview you. Thanks again for coming on the show. And listeners, we will see you on the next episode. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.